The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. We all know that stories connect us. There's a lot of evidence out there now. So the next question is, what stories do you want to tell to connect with the people that you want to connect with? And how are you going to tell a story about yourself that isn't self-centered or bragging? There are so many opportunities that we have to share a story to connect with people. But if we don't know which story to tell that demonstrates who we are and what matters to us, then we aren't going to connect at the most authentic level. Our guest today is Adina Edelman, and we met through story, of course. We were on LinkedIn, and somebody tagged me in a comment on Adina's post about Bunt Cakes. Adina, I can't wait to have you tell the story from your perspective and how you wrote that post. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Uh, Yeah, that was a kind of spontaneously driven post where I was making a bundt cake and I am very partial to desserts with fruit. And so I wanted to make an apple bundt cake and I was not aware that when you put fruit (laughs) into a bundt cake, immediately you're going to have problems involving the baking length. And um, what happened with me was that half of the cake ended up not being baked. And I only found that out after I overturned the pan (laughs) and the the first half was lovely baked. And then the, what was now the top half just slid all the way down because it was just liquid. It was was batter. It was was all batter, delicious tasting batter. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is so frustrating. Well, and then you posted about it um, Mm -hmm. as an analogy. So I I think our listeners will appreciate this analogy because in my podcast, I often talk about how analogy is also a great way to connect through story, Mm -hmm. especially if you have one that really resonates with your particular audience. Absolutely. And there are so many analogies to be found with the writing process. And this was one that struck me where uh, in specific, so I connected the making of this bone cake to the writing process in that this was not my first time making a bun cake. This was, I think, my second or third time. Um, I have not succeeded um, in certain ways at each uh, at each effort, each attempt. And I found this very similar to the novel writing process in which one goes through many drafts before they come to a um, finished version of their manuscript, which they're going to move forward with. And the the first draft for sure is not going to work and neither might the second or the third or the fourth and so on. And that's the comparison I made with this bunt making experience. (laughs) So not to give up because it's not like you're going to say, I'm never baking a bunt cake again. After Mm -hmm. three tries, I'm giving up, right? Exactly. You got to keep on trying. And, And even to walk in with that sort of expectation that it is a process and it's okay if things go wrong. Um, and there will there will be elements in there that are both need need improvement, but also, you know, the batter still tasted good. Like there was still something working there. <laughs> so there's going to be pros and cons at each stage. Right. As long as you learn from each part, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when we first moved to Montana from Washington, D.C., 
And I tried to make challah, the Jewish braided bread that we eat on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And um, for our listeners, baking at high altitude is really different from baking anywhere else. And my first attempt, it was like bricks. I mean, even the dog wouldn't eat them. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was, and she was a total food person. She's a lab. I mean, she'd eat anything. She wouldn't eat them. And then the second time they ended up more like pancakes, like they overrose. And I went through a few iterations and, and I almost gave up. I almost decided I'm just not doing it again. But here's another interesting analogy that just popped into my head. Every time I'd make them, I'd cut the dough in half or in thirds and make the challah. And then I would have leftover dough that I would put in the fridge. And the next day I would make sticky buns from it. So I'd mm -hmm. roll it out in a big rectangle. Yeah. I'd sprinkle brown sugar. I'd put some melted butter on there, some cinnamon and nutmeg and all the stuff, uh, craisins and nuts. And I'd roll it up and slice it and stick it in a pie pan with a um, brown sugar and butter mixture. That's like a caramel. Mm -hmm. And I'd bake them and then come out so delicious. It didn't matter what the hollow was like because the dough would make perfect sticky buns every time. Mm -hmm. And I almost gave up. I told my husband, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing this again. He goes, I think you should give it one more try. <laughs> said, you just want sticky buns tomorrow. He said, yeah. So that brings me to a question. And we actually haven't started like how I usually start with these podcasts, but we'll go back to that. Um, it brings me to a question about people who take what they think is going to be what the book is going to be. And it ends up being something really different. It's like a side effect. Like mm -hmm. the, the challah wasn't great, but the sticky yeah. buns, right? <laughs> yeah. So tell me about a client where that happened. I'm sure you have one in your head. A client where that happened? Um, I'm actually not sure if it would, because uh, I definitely relate to that in the writing process where you, where you have this idea for a story and you start it and it really ends up going in a very different way. Either a uh, character sort of... Uh, just hijacks the story and goes somewhere else with it or or the message that you want to share really shifts and goes in a different direction um when working with my clients so so that might come in at a developmental stage when i'm working with them when the the theme and the and the message are still a little bit fluid um i'm trying to think of books that i've worked with honestly i don't think i've i've had that experience when working with clients usually they come in and and generally speaking the the main core of what they bring in is what stays and it's sort of the surrounding material that has to be shifted a little bit to so everything clicks together the right way okay that makes sense i was just thinking about um a song that one of my friends wrote so we actually one of my bands performs this original song and it started as like a very specific rhythm and then when we started doing it with the band, because he was just learning it and playing it on his bass and singing it, when he brought it to the band, it completely, like the the melody changed, the mm -hmm. rhythm behind it changed. It was the same song, but not the same song. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Uh, and that makes me think of, uh, you know, there's in, in the music world, you can take, let's say a pop song and make it acoustic and then transform that into acapella and you get a totally different sound and vibe and just listening experience it's it's yeah it's really interesting yeah perfect that's a perfect analogy because it's you you're starting with the same ingredients mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Same notes. <laughs> same notes. Well, and, and it was the same lyrics and the melody was pretty much the same, but because the rhythm changed, mm. the phrasing had to change. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Oh, that is very cool. I never thought about it that way until we just started talking baking. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so let's rewind. Let's go back to where I usually start these because I think it will put um, all of our conversation into a different perspective for our listeners. So those listeners that have heard more than a hundred episodes, <laughs> I have 300 and something out there. Um, most people uh, know that I start this way. I would love to hear something from you, Adina, about you that most people might not know. Mm. And I love to ask that question because many people say, well, I'm kind of an open book. You know, I share all this stuff. And then we always end up finding something that is either surprising or really like beautiful and that I wouldn't have known. So do you have something in your head to share? I mean, like a few things popped into my head. It's kind of hard to choose because like some pieces I have like dropped here and there on LinkedIn. So I'm trying to think of something that like people actually wouldn't know. <laughs> um, oh, man. My sister said, I told everybody I hated pink for the longest time because you hated pink because I'm the older sister. <laughs> she said, but nobody knew that I actually secretly loved pink. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's my sister. She's pretty funny. That's so sweet. Um, oh man, something about me that most people would not know. You can do something you dropped on LinkedIn that, you know, how many people really read our work on LinkedIn? I have a lot of followers and I still know barely anything actually gets reaches beyond the surface. So <laughs> one thing, so one thing that came to mind, which whenever I talk about it, people are like, oh. How about you? So, so I, I took singing lessons for four years while I was in high school. And because I'm an Orthodox Jew, I don't sing in front of men. And that's why, like, I don't talk about it because then people are like, Oh, how about you sing for us? Or how about you like do a, a video or whatever? I'm like, I really don't want to get into that. Like, just <laughs> like I'm a book editor. Let's just stay there, you know? <laughs> so, but that is something that has definitely been an enriching experience in my life. Um, and it was even kind of like a like therapy for me in high school because you just go to this place where all you do is use your voice and you sing and you get sort of like that was the magical fairyland to leave behind all the homework and the tests and all that. Um, so that's definitely something that, you know, still impacts my life and, and my experiences. Do you still sing in, in certain contexts, like at synagogue? So, um, I mean, quietly, <laughs> but mostly at home, <laughs> mostly at home. Uh, if there is like a woman's gathering and they're singing, then I'll definitely, I'll sing along. Um, but and there, there are definitely opportunities if I wanted to, you know, mm -hmm. let's say perform or whatever, but, but it's not something that I've ever pursued as something I want to, uh, spend as much time in. It's something that I find personal and I definitely enjoy like giving it to people and singing with people. Um, but it's more something that like I one, I one day look forward to singing with my children and, you know, doing like I, I right. looking forward to having it as a private, you know, close experience. Oh, that's a sweet thought. I never really thought about it like that um, as more of an intimate gesture. Mm. And that's that's what you're talking about is that singing as an intimate gesture. And mm. I remember the first time uh, when my husband and I were dancing to a song and I was singing along with it. 
And it did. You're right. I mean, it felt really intimate that mm-hmm. that first experience like that. And he didn't know I was a singer. And I, like you, I sang all through high school, all through college. I was in performing arts and all that. So mm-hmm. when you think about that singing um, and the the act of taking the lessons and listening and expressing yourself in that way, can you see how that affects you as a book editor? Like where certain aspects of that experience show up in your book editing and your relationships with your clients? Mm, that's interesting. Um, I mean, there's, you know, like I said before, so many analogies with writing. So it, it there's so many analogies with music and writing. It's it's amazing. They just pop up everywhere. Um, as for how it comes into play with working with my clients and, and stuff. Well, one thing is that just like there's, you know, rhythm in music and there's so many different ways to play with with notes to to bring about a certain experience that's the same thing with writing and so so that sort of melodic tendency in writing to be able to pick that up and use that one when i'm editing um so it, it you know you could say that they're very two separate things but it also could be that they are related um and when i'm especially doing a line edit where you're looking more at flow and sound structure and how the how the words sound as you're reading them um so i think that that might be linked um but i also think um i like i don't know a, a lot of this could be speculative because i don't think i've connected them in this way in my mind before but uh that's, that's the whole goal here <laughs> yeah <laughs> to find it be, that it right. could just be like the simple thing of of those uh lessons enable me to have a voice quite literally and then mm-hmm. when speaking with my clients and being able to to use that in you know a uh respectful but sometimes often needing to be firm way <laughs> when uh you know at the end of the day it's their book but sometimes they need a little guidance to mm-hmm. hear what might be better for the reader um and i think also just that that um um what's the word um the ability to to enjoy it, but also have, um, I'm blanking on the word. Um, ah, this is so frustrating. <laughs> to have discipline, to have the discipline uh-huh. alongside the joy, and, See, and I don't have discipline much, so that's why that <laughs> word didn't pop into my head. <laughs> yeah, but so it it happens with singing and it happens with writing as well, and and with working with clients and with running your own business as well, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and also the idea that, that in singing the a slightest, uh, like little switch in what you're doing, either mechanically or you know, just like the way you're standing. And also that with writing or the way that you, that I'm engaging with a client, like the slightest switch can ter- takes, can turn something that sounds strained into something that sounds easy flowing and connect to the audience. So there's, there's just so many little bits of, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's where I thought you would go with this is I I think about a lot about my musical training and how that shows up in my writing. Mm-hmm. And I love your first point, which is it becomes more melodic if you have melody in your soul, if you've experienced singing melody, and then you can find the harmonics in the writing too. Mm-hmm. those other characters that blend to make the story more rich. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I really believe that a lot of my 
musical training helps me to be a better communicator overall. And I'm guessing that, well, you sing in choir, right? Mm -hmm. So that you cannot successfully and what's the word I'm looking for? You, you can't really sing in a choir if you aren't listening. Yeah. And but you have to be listening to other people while also not getting mixed up in what you're singing. Right, right. Because it's easy. I've I've had a lot of experiences where I tried to sing a harmony with somebody and they moved to my note because they, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they couldn't stay yeah. with the melody while they were hearing me sing it. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a big one. I mean, being mm-hmm. able to hold your your spot yeah. while listening to all the noise around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And and also that idea, and this really relates to being an editor, where that harmony is not is not the main melody, right? We're just supporting the person who's singing melody. And that's really what an editor is doing, where the author is the one who owns the writing. They're the one who who is in charge of this entire thing. And they're the ones who wrote the book and they're giving it to the reader. And the editor is purely a supportive role. We're just making sure that everything sounds right and comes across in the best way that it can. Um and it can be definitely hard at times to keep that role and make sure that we don't impede and enter the melody. Um, but that's an important, you know, a line to stay at. It is. And I really believe that your musical experience probably helps you keep that in mind as you're doing your work. I know I've worked with editors that tried to make my voice theirs mm. while, you know, in, in, no, and, and I've seen it in other people. And I've done that where I've corrected somebody's writing and went, oh, wait, 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 that's no, that's my voice. That's not his voice mm-hmm. because I've, I've been a writing coach in the past for a few clients. That's so fascinating. I had never really put this together until we started talking, but so much of what we experience in our lives prepare us to do what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, we don't even know that we are applying a lesson from 20 mm-hmm. years ago in our current life we just don't unless we stop to <laughs> and, and talk about it <laughs> exactly yes. which is exactly what we're doing so um uh, you've already told us you're a book editor and and we've heard your a lot of your um method and uh motivation in how you edit so i'm curious about a time that a, a recent client where you just felt like you were in exactly the right job that mm. you were doing what you were meant to do. Cause it seems to me that you are really comfortable and confident in the work you're doing. You know that you're good at it and it, it brings you great satisfaction. I can see that in the way you talk about it. So, uh, you know, a lot of people I can say, well, you know, tell me about something that brought you joy in your job. And they're like, it's just my job. Right. <laughs> but tell me about a time that recently that you were like, Oh yeah, this is, I meant to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question. And yeah, I, I've had those, you know, that feeling before. And it's really such a, a gift and a blessing to feel that. Um, I think that one of the times, and, and it does happen, uh, you know, so I'm going to mention a client, but any other clients who I'm not referring to, just know that you can be included as well. <laughs> but <laughs> working, I was working recently with a memoir writer um, and we were doing a developmental edit, which was a big picture look on his book and then um, a couple rounds of line editing. And it was 
like thank God it worked out really well. That's exactly what the book needed. And and it was just one of those working relationships where I said, okay, here's what needs to happen. This like is is in really good condition, but it just needs to like be polished a little bit more and then it'll get there. And just like that, he was able to bring it up a level and make sure that it was great for readers. Um, and being able to just work on that book and um just knowing like, oh, I know exactly what to do here to make this chapter make sense <laughs> and to have this whole section, you know, uh, um, giving over the message in the right way. And then when working on on the line edit of, of like, the, I know I realized that this is what he's trying to say. Let me make this suggestion. And then he accepts it right after that. And, you know, it just went very, very smoothly. Um, so that was that was very nice. And then in a slightly different way, like just just last week, I got from a publisher a copy of a book that I spent over 60 hours editing. Um, and this was a fiction book, which I love fiction. Um, and just being able to hold that was was so special. And the author was kind enough to give me a whole paragraph and the acknowledgments thanking me. Wow. So, so sweet. And that was also like another like, like I spent so much time on this <laughs> and it came out amazing and readers are really going to enjoy it and I get to hold it. And that was also very, very special. Oh, I love that. When when they are open to it and they hire, they realize they hired you for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. That's, and, and we all have the times where they don't and we feel like we failed somehow. I had a client that just didn't, I would make suggestions about, you know, what to do next and between our sessions. And here are some things that, uh, you know, you need to bring with you the next time, some thoughts, some journaling, whatever it was. And after, after the first session, I gave him this, you know, idea of some stuff to do to start moving forward in the, the, the reasons he hired me in the first place. Mm-hmm. We got to that second session. He goes, Oh, I didn't do that. I did this instead. And it was really dismissive. Yeah. And I said, well, okay, let's, let's start with that and see if it does the same thing. Cause I mean, I told you why I was asking <laughs> you to do this. It's not like I just said, just do this. I said, yeah. this is what we were trying to get toward. And I said, do you feel like you move forward with this? He's like, no. And I said, well, maybe for our next session, you can actually do what we talked about because this is what's going to help you move forward. He's like, how? And I said, well, you're going to have to trust the process. You hired me. so." trust the process. And by the time we got to the third session, I fired him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This this isn't going to work. Here are a couple of other coaches that I would recommend and I will refund everything except for those two sessions. And I'm not going to charge you for today's session, but this isn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is so hard to work with someone who you're trying to help and you're giving the right advice to, and they just, they're, they want to do their own thing. Right. So tell me about a client like that and how that, how you resolved it. My resolution was you need to find a different coach because, <laughs> and, and he was very upset. He, he said, you're fired. Are you firing me? And I said, <laughs> if you want to put it that way, but what I'm saying is neither of us are going to be satisfied with this. And yeah. my reputation is on the line. Yeah. So if we finish all six of our sessions and you don't feel like you've made any progress, uh, that's on both, both of us, but that's my reputation on the line. So I don't feel like you're going to make progress with me, but maybe there's another coach out there. So I sent him some referrals and he ended up going with another coach and following up with me about six months later saying that that was the right thing to do, which 
yeah, I was very surprised to hear from him, but, and, and I was so grateful that he had that um, humility to say, Mm -hmm. Hey, you were right. I wasn't, you weren't the right coach for me. And yeah. Yeah. Now I feel like I'm making some progress. Mm -hmm. So tell me about one that just didn't work out for you or. Yeah. I mean, I've been so blessed with amazing clients. Um, I think I'm trying to think of, of experiences that have been like super frustrating. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So, so I've thankfully have not, I know, I know colleagues, I've known other editors who have worked with authors who just rejected almost all their suggestions and they felt like, why, why are we doing this? Um, I, I thankfully have not had that specific experience. What I've more had is where I would make a suggestion and there would be a lot of back and forth of sort of arguing about it. <laughs> uh-huh. And um and sometimes I would just let it go um because it simply was not important enough to keep squabbling over and sometimes uh and this would often happen when I was working through a publisher. So I would be in direct contact with the author and saying, you know, according to their uh, sensitivity standards, we don't want to have this in the book. And they would be like, well, I want it in there and it's important. And I would be like, I understand that you want that, but it has to go. <laughs> and like, it would just be <laughs> a little bit of a back and forth until they finally accepted that if they want to get published through this publisher, they would have to reword it or take it out or something. Um, and, or sometimes, it, you know, it would be straight up where I would make a suggestion and they would just reject it in the track changes. And I would have to like either just, ignore it or leave a comment asking why they rejected that when it's now either grammatically incorrect or it's really unclear or just, uh, you know, anything like that. So, yeah. so sometimes there's some uh, frustration in terms of uh, being on the same page with the edits, mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time, that's also, it can be a good thing. Like the, so the memoir author I was just working with, which was a, an amazing experience. So our last round of line editing we had already twice commented, I think, on this paragraph in a tr- transition there. And twice I said, I don't think that a transition is needed here. And each time he put in a different sentence to try to transition. And by the last round, I like read it again. And I was like, you know what? The thing that he put in there is fine now. It does need a transition. Fine. <laughs> I was just so, going to ask, when have you been wrong? And that right. was one of those... So, okay. so it's definitely... Yeah, I'm definitely not right 100% of the time. Maybe like 95%. <laughs> But, but yeah, very often the authors know what they're doing and I'm very grateful that they, when they are paying a very active role in the experience, um, some don't, which can be a different problem where I had an author, uh, this was like very early on, like my first year of editing, I was working on her book. And at one point I asked her to make a change and she said, oh, I don't really remember the story anymore. Can you change it for me? <laughs> what I, I like just laugh about it so much because <laughs> like so it's your book <laughs> I, I was like I'm I'm your editor I'm not your ghostwriter like what what is this <laughs> but uh yeah we worked it out it was fine um but that was just so hysterical to me that that there could be an author out there who is detached enough that she is okay with someone else just sort of taking over um the the book Wow. They're out there. <laughs> I, I, Well, it makes sense. Some people are writing books just for the sake of writing books that they don't have necessarily a particular goal in mind. Right. Huh. That's really interesting. I never would have thought of that. 
So what got you into it? Like people don't just suddenly become a book editor. That's true. Were you, was that, do you have a degree in composition or English or? Yeah, I have a BA in English and creative writing, um, which I, I had like Googled that in 10th grade, like, oh, is, is a degree in creative writing a thing? And it was. Um, and like, since that time, I was sort of bent on getting that degree. <laughs> and, but of course, I also wanted to make sure that that was a degree that would enable me to do editing. And um, I I did Southern New Hampshire University Online, and they they listed under that degree one as one of the job options as being a book editor. So I was like, great, <laughs> let me do that. It was I was sort of either debating that or literary agent. I was sort of wasn't sure which. Mm-hmm. And then as I got closer, I decided I want to do book editing. Um, I my really big why of going into it was I wanted to improve Jewish literature in specific, and that's you know the majority of the publishers I work with are Jewish, and then. And then alongside those, I work with a lot of self-publishing authors, Jewish and non-Jewish. Um, but I really, really wanted to go into it in order to work on Jewish books. Um, and yeah, thank God I've been able to do that. And it's been amazing. Okay. I, I really, I'm so fascinated by this because um, I guess going into it with a very specific genre, basically, or community in mind that's yeah. so fascinating what was it about jewish literature jewish fiction that you wanted to change or improve what were you seeing that was yeah. not quite right um, or broken in it so it's anyone who's who's read it, it's very different than secular fiction in that um certain topics aren't often um, random books like there's less you will find less sci-fi for example in jewish fiction there is more coming in but we are generally very careful with the type of content that orthodox jews read um and and also like for example when i started working with a publisher they asked me like you know what are your sensitivity levels will you be able to pick up on certain things that some people in our audience will not be comfortable with and this could be certain types of language uh it could be i don't know like certain uh, websites that are mentioned that kind of thing like they want they want to make sure that their entire audience feels comfortable reading these books um and and sometimes so and so the jewish writers um, often themselves are not as widely read. I, I can't speak to that as a general term, but I have found that some of the books um, in the Jewish world, let's just say they could they could use enhancement in terms of of let's say like um, writing things like like dialogue um, or scene development or character development, those kinds of things. So I'm not in any way saying that they are bad as subpar i'm just saying right. that there is a certain different level or a different focus on those books and i wanted to see if that it could be taken up a certain level um which is what i do with all my clients um and in general like at a certain age i started just reading i like i love middle grade fiction um and i would really just read secular non-jewish um uh, middle grade fiction and that's something I, I love to read i love to edit it um and that was like an area that i really wanted to work with um, and in Jewish fiction, which is really amazing, and, and also so many amazing authors have been coming in recent years, and so many new books have been put out that are just that are really phenomenal. Um, and I really wanted to be a part of that, of making sure that there is more 
Jewish literature for children who, instead of having to go and read books with people who are, don't have their lifestyle, which it's fine, but who could read more books that are, there are enough books that can, you know, are, that are related to who they are. Um, and that can just, they can, they, on the couch they can and read themselves it in play. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you hear the, there are big pushes now to make sure that all um, people of color are represented in children's books mm-hmm. because yeah. there was a time where pretty much all the main characters in children's books were white yeah. and and male or white and yes. female. <laughs> and um, I love that because I never thought about that. Probably partly because of in the eighties, when I was reading middle grade books, it was like Judy Bloom, and a lot of her mm-hmm. characters were Jewish girls. Mm-hmm. So I remember that I saw myself in that and and that's why I was sensitive to it when I noticed that there weren't women of color in those books and mm-hmm. they weren't characters that had value in those books. Mm-hmm. So I love that you're saying that because I wouldn't have thought that. When you think about your middle grade books that you mm-hmm. particularly resonated with or that you just really, when you go back, you read it again. Mm-hmm. What's one of those books? Yeah. Ah, there's so many. <laughs> one uh one that I often go to, she's an author who's ran so many, is Joan Bauer. She writes realistic uh fiction. And she has uh, a lot of children's, um, a couple of like edging more toward teen books as well. Uh-huh. And I first off, I love her writing style. Um, and I love in particular that she creates characters who are going through a very difficult scenario, but she doesn't, uh, she, she creates a story that is very heartwarming and very uplifting while at the same time being very real. And that mm-hmm. just, and that's so important for children's books because, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, children are they're learning about the world and they need to be able to learn about it in a safe way and that enables that gives them the tools to be able to handle hard things and so reading books where instead of the character being uh like gloomy and moody for three quarters of the book and not knowing how to handle anything and then only at the climax and on figures out you know how to smile it's it's not it's not a great lesson so she does just a terrific job in balancing that the hardship with the beauty of life um and making it a great entertaining read at the same time which is some amazing amazing lines in there um so some of her books which have have won awards it's like hope was here almost home close to famous so many she has she has a lot of books um, so she's definitely something I highly recommend to anyone who wants to get into middle grade fiction. Uh, and, and I always say that a good middle grade book can be read at any age, not mm-hmm. at like age three, but like middle grade. Right. Enough. <laughs> right. I agree. And I, I love that you're bringing that up because when I worked at our local library, our boys were little and I just needed health insurance. So mm-hmm. I worked at our local library for, I don't know, two and a half years. I was literally walking with a $44 paycheck after 40 hours of work because all of our health insurance was being taken out. But um, it was still my favorite job Mm because clearly I wasn't doing it for the money. (laughs) What I loved about it was that I was exposed to all these books I wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to. And our boys were so little, middle grade books weren't a thing in our household yet. Mm -hmm. But I started... Um, asking a lot of the students who would come in, well, what what books are you reading? Because I have nieces and nephews your age, and uh, every Hanukkah, that's the, and Christmas, I would give gifts like that. And I remember like this sudden discovery of those middle grade and young adult books 
of the the Inkheart trilogy mm-hmm. and Peter and the Star Catchers. And my I really liked the magical ones. It yes. seemed like They're they the gave you Yeah, because they gave you like this the Libabray books, A Great and Terrible Beauty. I remember just feeling like I was outside of my adult life for just mm-hmm. a few hours at a time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I could see why that would encourage you and 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 kind of build that desire to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So, um of all the books that you have edited, are are there one or two that oh, and for our listeners, um we will put the titles of those middle grade books that Adina mentioned and the author in the blog post associated with this podcast so that you can look them up, read the reviews, and maybe buy them for your middle grade students or or friends of friends' kids or whatever. Uh, but we'll we'll have that in the show notes, of course, at elkinsconsulting.com. But as we kind of bring this full circle and, and wrap it up, what are a couple of books that you've worked on that when you think about you just you're like really not just really proud of, but that you would read and that you would want to give as gifts to people. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, okay. Three come to mind. Can I, can I, can I do it? Got that many? <laughs> as many as you want, Adina. I, I'm a reader. So I love readers. I love hearing that. I even love non-readers who listen to books. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. I, I'm all about if, as long as you're ingesting. Yeah. Audiobooks are awesome. Words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first, so, so one of my authors, Philip Ray, he just, um, um, he, so he, he has three books out so far and, and, and besides for being an amazing person, he's also an amazing author. Um, and I particularly love his books because I really, really enjoy sword fighting and he has a wonderful historical, um, fiction world, um, set in France. Well, in the time period of the Musketeers, so those are definitely books that not only were they were just so fun to to edit, but definitely books that I would just enjoy reading uh, in general, and I would recommend to people who enjoy mystery, who enjoy historical fiction, enjoy anything involving swords. Uh, definitely go check those out. Anything very, involving very swords, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you must have brothers. Five. <laughs> <laughs> you have five brothers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear that because I have two boys. And so I hear, oh, I love swords. I love dinosaurs. <laughs> and I I love um construction vehicles, even in my 50s. My boys are long out of the house, but I will stop at construction sites and watch. And it was because I watched them enjoy it. And I'm like, whoa, that is really fascinating. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. So the, the Philip Ray novels that take mm-hmm. place during the the musketeer time mm-hmm. with lots of swords. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> um, another is I'm looking up because I have a lot of the books I worked on on a shelf above my desk. So cool. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> um, I wish I, oh, would you um, take a picture of that? Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, absolutely. They're all published. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So take a picture of that and we'll include it in the blog post so that people can see okay. what you look at when you're working. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Um, another book, which is of a more serious nature is a memoir. Uh, it's called, even if I'm not by Dvorak Kramen. And that was just an incredibly powerful memoir I worked on, um, which is about her story of, uh, really, um, I'm trying to find the right word. I don't want to use, I guess you could use the word overcoming, um, 
um, or like healing after the grief of losing her son who was engaged. Um, and she also speaks later about how she had lost uh, four children as uh, infants. Um, and that was just a very real uh, and raw memoir um, that she gives over and, and, you know, about her journey of, of stronger faith in God um, and, you know, relationship with family. And that was something that at the time when I edited it gave me like a lot of strength reading it um, and working on it. And just an, an incredible person. I was very privileged to be able to email with her and and, uh, and work on that book with her. Uh, and that it, and her writing is just stunning. And so just like you, you read and you really you feel but at the same time, like she's able to give it over in a way that you don't feel um, bombarded with all the pain mm-hmm. and all the grief, um, which is not an easy thing to do when you know, yeah. writing about that level of tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely, um, yeah, just a privilege memorable. to work on. Yeah, very, very, very memorable. I can see it in your face. The, for our listeners, Adina's expression is very clear to me that it was a memorable book and that it had a, an impact. And mm-hmm. I what I'm hearing is uh, it, it helped build a sense of resilience in you just mm-hmm. reading it and yeah, participating 100%. in it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. What's number three? Number three is the book I just received in my hands last week. Um, and that is book one of a trilogy. So it's called Homeward Bound by A. Yarden. We could also give that link. So that just came out and that is, so it is a Jewish novel. Um, the, the setting happens on an Island of Jews. Um, and it does involve swords, which is another reason why I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) So that was very fun. Um, I, we had, we had a whole discussion on, um, you know, why do they only use swords and not guns? And I was like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not complaining. Like I greatly enjoy swords. I just want to make sure that this is like, you know, that there's some consistency worked out in the world building. exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But that was, that was very enjoyable as well. Yeah. Ah, that sounds good. All of them sound good. I really want to read the middle grade ones that you were mentioning too. And mm-hmm. um, I have nieces that are readers. So oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Adina, this has been such a pleasure. You are such a pleasure. Well, thank you. Right back at you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. So for our listeners, um, you said that you do do some book editing for people who are self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Correct. And um, what's the best way to reach you? And our, for our listeners, this will all be in the show notes associated with the podcast at elkinsconsulting.com, but let's hear it out loud too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the best way to get an immediate response from me is actually just reaching out through LinkedIn um, and otherwise through my website, edelmanedits.com. There's a contact form there. My email's on there. Uh, LinkedIn is on there as well. So if that's easier Great. to go to, that works. Edelman Editing. Edelmanedits.com. Edelmanedits.com. Thank you Mm -hmm. for that correction. Edelmanedits.com. Well, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much. So fun. Listeners, now it's your turn. I know it's hard to take the time to pick up a book and read. And what I'm finding is that the more I meet these authors, the more I want to dive into their books. So maybe the next thing for you to do if you want to read more is don't feel like you have to read nonfiction. Read something that lights you up. Read something that helps you get 
away from the reality of the world for just a little bit that gives you a break from it. And those middle grade books are often a great escape from reality. And maybe it's time to reach out and join a book club and find something that you can really enjoy. I have some friends that are struggling to connect with other people and they're living in communities that they don't feel connected to. And every time I recommend they find the local library and find a book club because if you want to meet people that are of like heart, but not necessarily like-minded, the library is a good place to do it. Thank you so much for listening to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.